Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Today we're going to look at another one of these pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament that we read and we think, what is this about? And it's so easy to misunderstand, but it's actually pointing us towards what God has done for us through Christ. And the message I want to share with you today is called The Offering of Abel. The Offering of Abel. I'm going to read for you Genesis 4 verse 1. And I'm going to read through to verse 8 the story of Cain and Abel early on in the Bible, the fourth chapter of the Bible, uh, with the first siblings born to Adam and Eve. And so Genesis 4 verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. There's an offering that Cain brings from, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Sin lies at the door, and Cain rises up and kills Abel. If you ever get confused about who killed who, a teacher once told me a joke, and it is stuck in my mind forever, okay? And the joke is this. Forgive me, I'm just, it's just a teaching moment right now. It is a dad joke, so forewarning, all right? But he said, did you know that Abel was an alcoholic? He was killed by Cain, all right? And that's how you can always, you can always remember who killed who in this story, But here we have two brothers, and if you've ever had siblings, you'll know that many siblings come close to killing each other, all right? I grew up with three siblings. We were four kids, and there was always something to fight about. You know, how many of you fought about who sits in the middle seat on the back seat of the car, right? Like every, that's the prime position. You sit in the middle because you've got like the windscreen view, and it's also the most unsafe position to sit in, but who cares about that, right? So, So siblings fights about everything. My boys this morning, uh, Eli had taken Jude's Batman, and Jude had taken Eli's Spider-Man, and that's what I was sorting out before church this morning, and I was like, either you play with each other's toys, or you give them back, and or we put them away, Um, but siblings always will have a rivalry over something, and uh, I remember when my sister, who's two years younger than me, um, we were in the garden, and I don't know what the game was, and I don't know what led to this, but we started throwing rocks at each other. But when I say rocks, I think at one point she threw half a brick. Okay, it was, a, it was rough back in the 80s, I've got to tell you. It was rough back then. Kids were a lot tougher than they are now. Um, and so we ran around the lawn throwing massive rocks at each other's heads. And at one point, my sister, who obviously was more intentional about this game than me, um, 
she managed to connect with that half brick on my forehead, okay? And so this brick hit me on the forehead, and I was down for the count. I got up, and all I could see was red. There was blood everywhere. I remember running to the porch, and the front door was closed, and like banging on the door because I couldn't open it myself. It was just blood everywhere. And so I feel like I can relate to Abel <laughs> in the story. I feel like I have a lot, of, lot in common with like almost being killed by your sibling. And uh, in the Old Testament account that we have here, we have the, you know, the first ever siblings, and we see that this is an ancient thing. This is an age-old thing. It's no different between the two of them. Cain and Abel, um, we, we understand that there was something of a rivalry between them, and, uh, and, and, and it kind of develops in this way. The word Cain has the Hebrew root meaning of possessed or acquired. Possessed or acquired, having acquired something. This is why Eve said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. It means to possess or acquire. And Abel, his younger brother, that word means either breathe or nothing. So you have the one who's acquired, you have the one who possesses, and that you have the one who has nothing. He just has breath. He's just, it's, there's, there's nothing in him. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. In other words, he was a farmer and he would plant seeds and he would work the earth and, and, and produce a harvest from it. And Abel was a keeper of sheep um, that, that herded sheep, so a herdsman. And, and at one point, as we see in the story, they both bring an offering to God. Cain brings of the produce that he has produced from working the ground and he brings it before God and he lays it down as an offering. And Abel brings the firstborn from his flock, just a lamb, and brings that before God in an offering. And so this is one of those moments where we look at the story and we think, what is going on here? We, I don't know if, if you're like me, but I've sympathized with Cain before. Where I've been like, but he just did his best. And he brought fruit. It's not his fault he didn't have a sheep. And then you're like, what is, why does God prefer the lamb over the produce? Like, is God anti-vegan? Any vegans here today? He may be. He may be. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out in heaven one day. But, but I kind of have this idea of God just being so petty. He's like, you brought me broccoli? Seriously? Like, get this out of my face. You know, I don't want broccoli. I don't want fruit. Bring me some meat. You know, God is a South African. He wants to, he wants to have a braai. What is going on in the story that God won't accept Cain's offering? And if you read that and you were somebody who didn't know the scriptures and didn't keep reading the Bible, the secret to understanding the Bible is the Bible. If you want to know what these, these things mean, don't stop reading. Keep reading. And it explains itself. It interprets itself. And so, you know, we look at a story like this and, and people would say, God is just so, so superficial in his selections. He's so picky. He's so pedantic. He just makes a decision and, 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 and we don't even understand these. And, and it just, you can easily misalign your view of God as a result of, of these kinds of stories. And so, and so Cain's offering is, is rejected while Abel's is accepted. Have you ever, if you, if you have a sibling, you know, sometimes in some families, one sibling is like the darling of the family, like the blue-eyed boy or the, or, or the brown-eyed girl or the, you know, the one that just does everything. They can't do anything wrong. 
some parents, not me ever, but some parents <laughs> have even said to their kids, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you behave like your brother? All the siblings in here, amen. Can I have an amen? We're praying for healing on your part, right? Why can't you be more than, or more like your brother? And so as Cain's offering is rejected and Abel's is accepted, Cain becomes angry. He rises up in jealousy and he kills his brother. But God says to, to Cain, why are you angry? Is it right for you to be angry that I have rejected your offering and, and, and received Abel's offering? And he comes to this point where he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And so whenever I read that, I thought that the key to being accepted by God is to do well. And we would put our own definitions onto what it means to do well. If you do well, you'll be accepted. Okay, I better be in church every Sunday. I, I better be reading my Bible every day. I better, be, I better be praying nonstop. I better make sure that in my life I never have anything evil that I do or around me or never go into certain situations where I might encounter it. This is how we get weird Christians who literally just stay in their room all the time and listen to Hillsong, which is a great thing to do, but they do it all, all of the time because they're so afraid that if I don't do well, I might end up like Cain. I might end up in a place where, where I am no longer accepted. He says, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. This can create so much fear in our lives. If I don't live exactly right, perfectly right, then God is going to reject me and I'm just going to be handed over to the sin that desires to devour my life. And so we need to perform and we need to behave and we need to produce. How many of you have ever felt that way? I have. I have. I felt insecure in my relationship with God because I thought I was moments away from his stamp of rejection. I felt that way before, and many people do, and so they walk away from God, say, look, if God is about to reject me anyways, I'll just do it, I'll just save him the trouble, and I'll rebel against him. This is what leads to rebellion. The Bible says that the strength of sin is in the law. When you think you're about to be condemned, you say, I don't want that, I'll walk away rather. But Cain... The interesting thing about the story is he did produce. He did produce. He produced an offering with his own hard work. The Bible says he was a tiller of the ground, which means he worked and worked and worked until the ground produced fruit. And then he brought the fruit of his labor to God. So this doesn't make any sense. He did perform. He did produce. Genesis 3 verse 17 tells us, that a part of the fall of man produced this curse in terms of work. It says, then to Adam, he said, in Genesis 3, 17, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and eaten of the fruit of the tree, of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This is the, the proclamation 
of, of the state of humanity after the fall of man into a sinful state. In this sinful, fallen world, we only eat when we work. And work, we have to work and work and work for the earth to be able to produce its, its fruit. Before that, the, it was just in the garden, everything was produced, but now we're in a position where we have to work for it. But the ground is cursed and will only produce through work. It was the only way to make it happen. So when Cain comes to God, he's been working. He's been working. He's been tilling the ground. He's, he's produced fruit of his own labor by the sweat of his own brow. And he essentially comes before God with everything he has produced in his own strength and says, here we go, God. Here is my offering. It's what I have done. It's what I have produced. It's what I've been able to do. Aren't you proud of me for everything I have done? And he puts his works before God and says, will you accept this offering? Remember, his name means acquired. I acquired this by the sweat of my own brow. And this is what we do with God still today. We go to God and we say, God, I'm going to ask you for something, but I know that you can answer me because I've been faithful. Because I've done the things that you asked me to do. Because, I'm, because, because I go to church every Sunday. Because I'm a religious person. Because I, because I pray. Therefore, you should do good towards me. God, won't you respect my offering and reward me for it? We want God to respect us because of what we've done. But we are producing from cursed ground. When you are working in your own strength to please God, the ground is cursed ground. The flesh, the Bible says, there is nothing good that dwells in the flesh. In other words, there is nothing that you can do in your own strength and bring before God that he will be able to receive or accept or respect. There's only one thing the Bible calls us to do with our flesh, and that's to put it to death, to be crucified with Christ. And everything that we do for God, we do through his grace, through his goodness, through his presence, through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't get any glory to go, look God what I have done. Our own righteousness, in other words, cannot stand before God. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are, uh, which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Listen to this. That no flesh should glory in his presence. When we produce through self-righteousness, through, through self-effort, through our own works, and we say, look, God, that's the flesh, and it shall not glory. In other words, God says, I don't care how clever you are. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care how, it, that's not what brings you to a place of acceptance before me. No flesh shall glory in his presence. There's nothing good that we can bring to him. And that is why God cannot respect the fruit of the flesh. And he also couldn't respect the fruit of, of Cain's works. 
He doesn't want us to try and produce our own offerings. He doesn't want us to try and produce our own offerings. Now, some of you might be going, but I've worked so hard for this. Do you know that everything that we produce, the Bible says, is like filthy rags to the Lord? It falls so short. This is great news for us. This means that we don't have to impress God and and worry about whether or not He's impressed. We can stand in a place of faith and, and receive everything that God has for us. The Bible says that when you rely on your own strength to please God, it is the doorway of sin. Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. The moment you're saying, I'm going to be good enough for God. You know what's going to happen? The moment you mess up, you're going to come over to this side where you say, I'm not good enough for God. And that leads to a sense of condemnation. It leads to a sense of of shame. It leads to a sense of rejection by God. And once you feel like you're condemned, people who feel condemned live condemned. Right? If you are constantly conscious, conscious of your sinfulness, guess what you'll do? You'll sin. And so... Setting yourself up to fail in this way is one sure way to strengthen sin's grip on your life. Whereas what the book of Romans tells us is that sin shall not rule over you. It shall not have uh, dominion over you. Why? It says because you are not under the law, but under grace. God sets us free from sin through his own hand, through Jesus on the cross. Abel, on the other hand, he just bought the firstborn of his flock. Just the firstborn lamb from his flock. Now, Abel, as smart as he might have been, could do nothing to produce a lamb. Right? Can we all agree? Abel could not produce a lamb. He didn't work for that lamb. He didn't grow the lamb from a seed. All he did was watch over it. And then he brought it to God. In other words, he wasn't trying to show God how good he was. He was just honoring God and thanking him for what he had provided for him. This is such a picture of the gospel. You cannot be saved. You cannot be made right with God by your own works. You cannot come before him and say, look at my offering, God. Will you accept me now? God cannot accept that. But when we just go, God... I'm so thankful for the lamb that you provided. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus himself. And so I trust in what you have provided and it becomes my offering. All of a sudden, because it is a statement of faith, it's faith that makes us right with God. It's faith that is the offering that God can receive and, that can, and, and can respect for our righteousness. It is the only sacrifice that counts. The sacrifice of Jesus that became our righteousness and God, God cannot respect anything else. And, and it says he brought the lamb and he brought the fat. And the fat in scripture always talks about abundance and this grace that we stand in. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. It's overflowing abundance and sufficiency in your life. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We cannot glory in our flesh. 
and in our own efforts like Cain did, but we can glory in the Lord because Jesus has become to us sanctification and redemption and righteousness and everything that we ever needed is in Jesus. You don't have to till the ground like Cain. You just have to have faith like Abel. You just have to rely on the sacrifice of Jesus. Our righteousness is in Jesus. And when we're in Jesus, God accepts us completely. What's amazing is he doesn't just accept you. He goes on a journey with you. In Jesus, we have sanctification, which means a constant process of change and transformation into the image of Jesus himself. So the thing we put our faith in is the thing that we ultimately end up becoming. We become like Jesus because our faith is in Jesus. If you look at sin, you'll become like sin. But if you look at Jesus, if your consciousness is not based on what you've done wrong, but what Jesus has done for you, you will become like him. And in that process, you will live free from sin as he redeems us. Listen to how the Bible interprets this whole story for us and just brings it all home in terms of what this picture means. Because many people read the story of Cain and Abel, but because they don't continue reading, they never get to Hebrews 11 verse 4. And this is where when those those professors who put that book together want to make a case against God, I would want to just throw in, hey, have you seen Hebrews 11 4? Can we just add that to your list of scriptures? Because it explains the story. It says, by faith, by faith. Everybody say, by faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain? There's the answer. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. It says that Abraham believed in God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The only way Humanity has ever been able to move from unrighteousness to the righteousness of God is through faith in the Lamb. Through faith. He was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now we can bring offerings to God. Now we can be living sacrifices. Now we can serve God. Not because we're trying to be righteous, but because we understand that we already are. We're no longer toiling in in cursed ground. We're producing from a place of righteousness. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Though Abel died, lived a short life, was killed by his brother, he still speaks. The blood of Abel still speaks. That's the key to understanding the story right here, that it's faith and not works that made his offering acceptable. And so that redefines what it means to do well. What does it mean to do well? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Doing well means doing from a place of righteousness. You can't live in unrighteousness and try to produce works of righteousness. A tree can only produce the fruit of what it is. You cannot take an apple tree and scold it for not producing lemons. If it's unrighteous, what it produces is unrighteousness, even if it's a good effort. But when it's righteous, it produces righteousness. So our focus isn't, first of all, what your fruit is. Our focus is what your root is. What kind of tree are you? When you are a tree of righteousness, guess what your life will produce? Righteousness. This is how we are able to to do well before God. 
Without, what, what, does, what does Abel speak? Though he died, what does he say? What is he saying to us? What he says is quite simply, without faith it is impossible to please God. Without trusting in your righteousness, your self-righteousness is the same as unrighteousness. In 1 John 3.12, again it refers to Cain here, and it says, we should not be like Cain. Do not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. But he worked so hard. He worked hard in self-righteousness. His brother's acts were righteous. Offering was righteous. Why? Because it came from faith. What I'm trying to tell you today is stop trying to please God in your own strength and start believing in God. If you want to please God, believe God. Do you hear me this morning? If you want to please Him, believe Him. There is no other sacrifice. There's no other way to stand before Him righteous. It's so easy for us to read the story. And how many of you have done this all the way through my message? You've identified with Abel. You're like, yeah, I'm that guy. Like, I'm the, I'm the one who, was, who just, you know, had the faith and, 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 and other people are Cain. But the truth is, ultimately, all of us are Cain. All of us were born as Cain. And all of us have tried to save ourselves and to impress God by our own works. I've done it a million times. I still sometimes do it daily, where I think that God will bless me because I've done the right thing in my own strength. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of rest. We all try to save ourselves in our own goodness. It's only when we truly understand that we can't that we have faith like Abel, that we need Jesus. And so many times people have to try. They have to try and be righteous in their own strength. And once the law has had its full effect in their lives and ultimately killed them, which is the place I came to in my own life, I realized I really cannot do this, can I? I'm really not good enough, am I? Jesus, I need you. That's a point of surrender. That's a point of faith. That's a point of salvation. Jesus, I can't do it. I need you. Without you, I can do nothing. I can produce nothing. I will have no fruit without you. We all need Jesus. And so here's the picture of Jesus. If we were all Cain, it means that we are all guilty before God. And the Bible tells us that the blood of Abel cried out to God. It cried out for justice. And in that same way, the blood of our own sins cries out for judgment. In Genesis 14, it says, And the Lord said to Cain, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Our sins stand before God. And they cry out for judgment. If we were all Cain, we're all in trouble. If we're all sinners, which we are, we're all in trouble. We're all guilty. But thank God for the Lamb. Thank God for the offering. Thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Thank God for the blood that was shed on our behalf. Listen to this. Hebrews 12 verse 24 says, To Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. How beautiful. 
This is Beethoven's symphony right here. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word over your life and over my life. Where the blood of, of Abel, where the, the blood of, of judgment, where the blood of sin cried out, guilty. The blood of Jesus cries out, forgiven. Where the blood of sin cried out, unrighteous and unworthy. The blood of Jesus cries out, righteous and accepted. Don't be a Cain. Don't stand in the place of Cain. Don't rely on your works like Cain. Be a person of faith and receive the better word over your life. You are no longer guilty. You are no longer condemned. You are no longer judged. Your judgment has fallen upon Jesus. And your declaration, your, your name, your God's view of you is the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Abel's innocent blood cried out for justice against sin. Jesus' innocent blood cries out for mercy for sinners. Abel's blood exposed Cain in his wretchedness, but Jesus' blood covers our wretchedness and cleanses us from all sin. This is the basis upon which God accepts us. This is our righteousness. It's Jesus, and it points us to Jesus. And because we're righteous, we're able to now live as living sacrifices before God. Not because we want to be righteous, but because we are. If we don't get this identity right, if we don't understand who we are in Jesus, if we don't continually put our faith in Jesus, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for us. It wants to take us on a path of self-righteousness and unrighteousness. But as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will do well. We will live righteously. We will make a difference. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect. There's a process of sanctification. But God will lead us in it. And His righteousness will cover us in every moment. Amen? Do you believe that for your life this morning? Man, this is so important. Do you see how we can so easily read the story of Cain and Abel and go, oh God, I must do well. And it's actually saying the other thing. It's saying the opposite. You can only do well when you see how well Jesus has done for you on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning.